the servants of God sealed in their foreheads are represented by the square of twelve, so that their measurement is 144 cubits, and their numerical representation 144,000. Apocalypse 7, verses 3 and 4, chapter 14, verse 1, and chapter 21, verse 17. This square is the sum of all released from the bondage to Satan, consequent upon their obeying the form of teaching delivered unto them. The releasing them, of course, is an affair of the ages, seeing that the redeemed do not belong to one and the same nation and generation. Jesus died and rose again for the release of these, his sheep scattered among the nations and generations of centuries. In the providence of God, the form of teaching is brought before them, and being of his sheep, they discern in the teaching the great shepherd's voice and follow it. John 10 verses 26 and 27. And as he said to Paul at Corinth, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Acts 18 verse 10. After this encouraging admonition, Paul continued speaking in Corinth, a year and six months, for the manifestation of this people. They heard, they believed, and they were baptised. They believed the teaching, and obeyed the form. The teaching was the gospel of the apocalypse of the Lord Jesus Christ. He tells us that Christ sent him to preach the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to every one believing. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 17, Romans 1 verses 16 and 17. In preaching this, he says, I came declaring the testimony of God, and speaking the hidden wisdom of God in a mystery, which had been hid from the aeons and the generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 1 and 7, Colossians 1 verses 26 and 27. In the teaching, he taught them the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, so that, as the result of his instruction, they came to be washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 11, and to wait for his apocalypse, chapter 1 verse 7. Here was a form of teaching or doctrine presented to them in the formula of the name. He told them about the kingdom and glory to be apocalypsed when the hour should arrive for Jesus to hurl Satan, their master, like lightning from the heaven.
his testimony to this effect was confirmed among them by the demonstration of spirit and power that their faith might stand in the power of God. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 6 and chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. Having convinced them of this, he invited them to a cooperation with Jesus in the overthrow of Satan and in the government of the nations when Satan should be cast into the abyss and shut up and sealed so that he could deceive them no more. Apocalypse 20 verses 2 and 3. But at the same time, he taught them that that government which was to succeed Satan's was to be a pure, indestructible, divine and righteous dominion, and that consequently flesh and blood, or mortals, and the unrighteous could not possibly have any share in it. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 and 15 verse 50. This declaration, attested by the Spirit, brought up the inquiry, What does God require a believer of his promises to do, that he may become righteous and capable of inheriting them? In other words, what must he do to become the subject of the righteousness of God? Of that righteousness, which Paul says is witnessed by the law and the prophets, the answer to all who believe the promises and that Jesus is the anointed son of Yahweh in whose crucified flesh sin was condemned and that he rose from the dead for the justification of all given to him for brethren by the Father. The answer to such is do what Peter commanded the same class to do in Acts 2 verse 38. Do what is prescribed in Acts 3 verse 19. Do what the Samaritans did in Acts 8 verses 12 and 16. Do what the Cushite officer did in Acts 8 verses 38 and 39. Do what Paul himself did in Acts 9 verse 18 and 22 verse 16. Do what Peter commanded the devout Gentiles to do in Acts 10 verse 48. Do what was prescribed to the Philippian household in Acts 16 verse 33. Do what the Corinthians did in Acts 18 verse 8. For they all did the same thing. They believed the same teaching and obeyed the same form in conformity with the command to be baptised into the name of Yahweh. In becoming thus enlightened and obedient, they became the servants of God, purchased from Satan at the price of blood sold to him for thirty pieces of silver. By right of purchase, God calls upon all the purchased in Satan's household to leave his service and come over to him. The Lord knoweth them that are his. This is the seal of his foundation. 2 Timothy 2 verse 19 And he sent out his trumpeters to make proclamation and to invite his own 
to present heirship of the kingdom and eternal glory, for which he has purchased them of the enemy. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12, 2 Epistle 1 verse 5, James 2 verse 5. He that receiveth the testimony of Jesus hath set to his seal that God is true. John 3 verse 33. He endorses understandingly all that God hath done. He rejoices in the purchase or redemption, refuses any longer to serve sin, and sings, Unto him that loved us, and redeemed us to God by his blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and washed us therein from our sins, and hath made us kings and priests for God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion for the aeons of the aeons. Apocalypse 1 verses 5 and 6 and verse 9. These immersed believers of the exceeding great and precious promises covenanted to the fathers, and confirmed in Jesus, the minister of the circumcision, Romans 15 verse 8, by obeying the form of teaching, were brought into a patient waiting for what they believed in and hoped for. In writing to some of them at Corinth, Paul says that they came behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of the Lord, the anointed Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7 Thus it reads in the English version. But in the original, the coming is expressed by tain apocalypsin, the apocalypse. They waited for the apocalypse of Yahweh, the anointed Jesus. For the information of the mere English reader, we may remark that apocalypsis is derived from a verb which signifies to uncover, bring to light what was hidden. The noun, therefore, signifies a disclosure, a revelation. The subject of the disclosure may be ideas, persons or events in the sense of new ideas being put into the mind with enlightening effect. Apocalypsis is used in Luke 2 verse 32, where Simeon, speaking by the Holy Spirit of the future of the child Jesus, he then held in his arms, styled him a light for an apocalypse of nations and a glory of Yahweh's people Israel. In this text, it clearly signifies illumination. That is, that at some period of the history of the nations, Jesus would be, at one and the same time, a light and a glory to them and Israel. Moses says by the Spirit, Hananu goyim amo, Rejoice, ye nations, his people. But Paul, quoting from the Septuagint, says, With his people. Either way answers to the truth. For when the nations were caused to rejoice, they will have previously become Yahweh's people, Zechariah 2 verse 11, and will also rejoice with Israel and the saints. Now when this shall be the order of the day, the nations will have been apocalypsed by him who will be the glory of Israel. 
He will be a light in Zion, in the midst of the nations, confounding the moon and putting the sun of the former heavens to shame. He will be a light for an apocalypse of nations. The nature of this apocalypse may be discerned from a few testimonies of the prophets. In Zion, says Isaiah, shall Yahweh of armies make unto all people a feast. And in this mountain he will destroy the face of the covering cast over all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory, and Yahweh Elohim will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for Yahweh hath spoken it. Chapter 25, verse 6. The veil, or covering, the prophet speaks of here, is that strong delusion to which Paul alludes in Second Thessalonians 2, verse 11, where he predicted the present moral condition of the nations under the man of sin, or Satan of the Apocalypse, 12 and 20. The nations of Christendom are all under the veil, God sent the truth among them, but Paul says they received not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, he continues, God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be condemned, who believe not the truth, but have pleasure in unrighteousness. Here is their sin and punishment. They corrupted the truth and the corruption waxed strong in them, and deluded them into the belief of a lie, or system of falsehood. By this, the nations of Christendom are overspread as by a covering. No nation is exempt from the delusion. The most enlightened believe the lie, in common with the least. Greekism, Romanism, and Protestantism in all their names and denominations, are elements of the strong delusion. They all pretend to be Christianity, while in reality they are only abominable and badly executed counterfeits. Delusion and delirium have a near and intimate relationship, and the stronger the delusion, the more intense the delirium. In the Apocalypse, therefore, when the strong delusion in its effects upon the nations of Christendom comes to be signified or represented, they are described as having been made drunk and as being drunk. The inhabitants of the earth, said the angel to John, have been made drunk with the wine of the great harlot's fornication. Apocalypse 17, verse 2, 18, verse 3. The last text declares that all nations are intoxicated. The drunkenness is, therefore, not restricted to the Greek and Latin communions, but comprehends all Protestant nations as well. They are all deceived by Satan, by whose energy and deceivableness of unrighteousness the sole merchants of the earth have been able to establish themselves as the spiritual guides of the people. Blind, intensely blind and intoxicated, 
They are leading the blind and reeling multitudes into an unfathomable abyss. And they themselves are rapidly approaching that universal bankruptcy, when their commerce in souls will be extinguished, and no man will buy their merchandise any more. The days of the schools, colleges, seminaries, and ecclesiastical establishments of the nations are numbered, and the end of their theological craft decreed. They are weighed in the balances and found wanting, wanting in the knowledge of the truth as it is in Jesus, though they boast of the light and glory of our century, and are upon such admirable terms with themselves as the people of the Lord, basking in the sunshine of his favour and delight. The scriptures denounce their pretensions, and resolve them into the grossest darkness, sensuality, and wickedness. And this is unquestionably true. No other conclusion can be come to in view of what the Spirit saith. Speaking by Isaiah, he declares that if any one do not speak according to Moses and the prophets, he is a dark body. Chapter 8 verse 20. There is no light in him. Now it is notorious that the professors of the theological institutions of all sects and the clerical or ministerial orders of all denominations are grossly ignorant of the Old Testament writings. In presuming, therefore, to preach from or to explain the new, it is utterly impossible for them to speak according to Moses and the prophets. A man cannot speak in accordance with what he knows little or nothing about. The testimony, therefore, convicts them of utter incompetency. It declares them to be utterly without light, which is equivalent to saying that they are in gross darkness. And this being the condition of the ecclesiastics, how awfully dark must the people they call the laity be, like priest, like people. Darkness added to darkness, until it becomes Egyptian, or darkness to be felt. If the nations were enlightened, the apocalypse of the anointed Jesus would be unnecessary. He comes because of the darkness of the world. He comes as a light, as the day star, to illuminate the nations. He does not come because they are enlightened. If his coming be postponed to this, he never will come, for instead of a knowledge of the truth increasing among them, the darkness is intensifying day by day. Now that the Lord comes while darkness reigns, is manifest from the following testimony. Isaiah informs us that the Redeemer shall come to Zion, and unto them that turn from transgression in Jacob, and that then she shall arise and shine, because her light is come, and the glory of Yahweh is risen upon her. He then tells us the reason why Yahweh, or the Anointed One, comes to shine upon her, and the following is the reason. Because darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. This is the mental, or intellectual and moral, condition of clergy and people. Gentiles and Jews, at the epoch when Christ comes as a light for their apocalypse. 
Such is, and such will continue to be, the spiritual condition of the world until then. But when they have been apocalypsed, or illuminated, the change will be glorious. The earth will then be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea, even as God had sworn to Moses. Numbers 14 verse 21, Isaiah 11 verse 9, Habakkuk 2 verse 14. Then many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain, or kingdom, of Yahweh, and to the house of the Elohim of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of Yahweh from Jerusalem. And he shall rule among the nations, and he shall punish many peoples. And, in consequence of that rebuke, they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Having spoken peace to the nations, and being established in his glory, the day of Yahweh's exaltation will have been apocalypsed, or revealed, that day in which it is testified, Yahweh alone shall be exalted. Isaiah 2 verses 10, 11, 16 and 17. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of Yahweh, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it, to the name of Yahweh, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. Jeremiah 3 verse 17. This is a very plain testimony. Jerusalem is to become the throne of a government which is to have universal dominion and that when it exists, the nations will have abandoned the strong delusion or imagination by which they are now deceived. The occupation of the reverend divines of Christendom will then be gone. All names and denominations of blasphemy ending in ism will then be abolished, and they will be all as clean swept away as was the old world by the flood. What a glorious riddance for the world. The seducing spirits, the demons, the captivators of silly women laden with sins, the transformed ministers of Satan, teachers heaped up to themselves after their own lusts to tickle their itching ears, men of corrupt minds who speak lies in hypocrisy, unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. These, with all their old wives' fables and traditions, will all have been precipitated as Satan, with lightning velocity from the heavens, into the promiscuous confusion of the bottomless abyss. No clergyman will then venture to lift up his voice to sermonise the people, for it shall come to pass that when any shall yet prophesy, or preach. Then his father and his mother that begat him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of Yahweh. And they shall thrust him through when he prophesieth. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophets, or preachers, shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he hath prophesied. Neither shall they wear hair garments to deceive. Zechariah 
13 verses 3 and 4. If the ecclesiastics were to be dealt with upon this principle at the present time, not a soul of them would escape death upon the spot, for it is their craft to speak lies in the name of Yahweh, and to wear peculiar garments for professional deceit. The world that now fawns upon and flatters their vanity and glorifies their foolishness will then curse their memorial. In that day of affliction to the apostasy, it is testified that the Gentiles shall come unto Yahweh from the ends of the earth, and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited lies, vanity, and things wherein there is no profit. Jeremiah 16 verse 19 This is what they will say of Episcopalianism, Presbyterianism, Lutheranism, Methodism, Congregationalism, Universalism, Mormonism, Millerism, Campbellism, Romanism, Greekism, etc., etc., etc. All false, vain, and unprofitable. This is their true character, for they make up the ecclesiasticism of the nations. And how is it possible for drunken nations, overspread with strong delusion as a thick veil, to hew out for themselves cisterns capable of holding water from the fountain of life.